0: Chapter seventy-seven and seventy-eight of Omu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Omu A Narrative of Adventures in the South Seas by Herman Melville. Chapter 77. A Party of Rovers. Little Lou and the Doctor. While in Partu Y, we fell in with a band of six veteran rovers prowling about the village and harbor, who had just come over land from another part of the island. A few weeks previous they had been paid off at Papeete from a whaling-vessel, on board of which they had, six months before, shipped for a single cruise, that is to say, to be discharged at the next port. Their cruise was a famous one, and each man stepped upon the beach at Tahiti, jingling his dollars in a sock. Weary at last of the shore, and having some money left, they clubbed and purchased a sail-boat, proposing a visit to a certain uninhabited island concerning which they had heard strange and golden stories of course they never could think of going to sea without a medicine chest filled with flasks of spirits and a small cask of the same in the hold in case the chest should give out away they sailed hoisted a flag of their own and gave three times three as they staggered out of the bay of Papati with a strong breeze and under all the muslin they could carry evening coming on and feeling in high spirits and no ways disposed to sleep they concluded to make a night of it which they did all hands getting tipsy and the two masts going over the side about midnight to the tune of sailing down sailing down on the coast of barbary fortunately one worthy could stand by holding on to the tiller and the rest managed to crawl about and hack away the lanyards of the rigging so as to break clear from the fallen spars while thus employed two sailors got tranquilly over the side and went plumb to the bottom under the erroneous impression that they were stepping upon an imaginary wharf to get at their work better after this it blew quite a gale and the commodore at the helm instinctively kept the boat before the wind and by so doing ran over to the opposite island of aineo Crossing the channel, by almost a miracle, they went straight through an opening in the reef, and shot upon a ledge of coral, where the waters were tolerably smooth. Here they lay until morning, when the natives came off to them in their canoes. By the help of the islanders, the schooner was hove over on her beam-ends. When, finding the bottom knocked to pieces, the adventurers sold the boat for a trifle to the chief of the district, and went ashore, rolling before them their precious cask of spirits. Its contents soon evaporated, and they came to Partouille. The day after encountering these fellows, we were strolling among the groves in the neighborhood, when we came across several parties of natives, armed with clumsy muskets, rusty cutlasses, and outlandish clubs. They were beating the bushes, shouting aloud, and apparently trying to scare somebody. They were in pursuit of the strangers, who, having in a single night, set at naught all the laws of the place, had thought best to decamp. In the daytime, Popo's house was as pleasant a lounge as one could wish. So after strolling about, and seeing all there was to be seen, we spent the greater part of our mornings there, breakfasting late and dining about two hours after noon. Sometimes we lounged on the floor of ferns, smoking and telling stories of which the doctor had as many as a half-pay captain in the army. Sometimes we chatted as well as we could with the natives, and one day, joy to us, Popo brought in three volumes of Smollett's novels, which had been found in the chest of a sailor who some time previous had died on the island. Amelia, Peregrine, you hero of rogues, Count Fathom, what a debt do we owe you? I know not whether it was the reading of these romances, or the want of some sentimental pastime which led the doctor, about this period, to lay siege to the heart of the little loo. Now, as I have said before, the daughter of Popo was most cruelly reserved, and never deigned to notice us. Frequently I addressed her with a long face and an air of the profoundest and most distant respect, but in vain. She wouldn't even turn up her pretty olive nose. Ah, it's quite plain, thought I, she knows very well what graceless dogs sailors are, and won't have anything to do with us. But thus thought not my comrade, bent he was upon firing the cold glitter of Lou's passionless eyes. He opened the campaign with admirable tact, making cautious approaches and content for three days with ogling the nymph for about five minutes after every meal on the fourth day he asked her a question on the fifth she dropped a nut of ointment and he picked it up and gave it to her on the sixth he went over and sat down within three yards of the couch where she lay and on the memorable morn of the seventh he proceeded to open his batteries in form the damsel was reclining on the ferns one hand supporting her cheek and the other listlessly turning over the leaves of a tahitian bible the doctor approached. Now the chief disadvantage under which he labored was his almost complete ignorance of the love vocabulary of the island. But French counts, they say, make love delightfully in broken English, and what hindered the doctor from doing the same in dulcet Tahitian? So at it he went. Ah, said he, smiling bewitchingly, Owee mickenary, Owee ready bibly no answer, not even a look. Ah, my tie, very goody, ready, bibly, micanary. Lou, without stirring, began reading in a low tone to herself. Micanary, bibly, ready, goody, Mai Tai, once more observed the doctor, ingeniously transposing his words for the third time. But all to no purpose. Lou gave no sign. He paused despairingly, but it would never do to give up so he threw himself at full length beside her and audaciously commenced turning over the leaves. Lou gave a start, just one little start, barely perceptible, and then, fumbling something in her hand, lay perfectly motionless, the doctor rather frightened at his own temerity and knowing not what to do next. At last he placed one arm cautiously about her waist. Almost in the same instant he bounded to his feet with a cry. The little witch had pierced him with a thorn, but there she lay just as quietly as ever, turning over the leaves and reading to herself. My long friend raised the siege incontinently, and made a disorderly retreat to the place where I reclined, looking on. I am pretty sure that Lou must have related this occurrence to her father, who came in shortly afterward, for he looked queerly at the doctor but he said nothing, and in ten minutes was quite affable as ever. As for Lou, there was not the slightest change in her, and the doctor, of course, forever afterwards held his peace. Chapter 78 Mrs. Bell One day, taking a pensive afternoon stroll along one of the many bridle-paths which wind among the shady groves in the neighborhood of Toulouse, I was startled by a sunny apparition. It was that of a beautiful young Englishwoman, charmingly dressed, and mounted upon a spirited little white pony. Switching a green branch, she came cantering towards me. I looked round to see whether I could possibly be in Polynesia. There were palm trees, but how to account for the lady? Stepping to one side, as the apparition drew near, I made a polite obeisance. It gave me a bold rosy look and then with a gay air patted its palfrey crying out fly away willie and galloped among the trees i would have followed but willie's heels were making such a pattering among the dry leaves that pursuit would have been useless so i went straight home to popo's and related my adventure to the doctor the next day our inquiries resulted in finding out that the stranger had been in the island about two years that she came from sydney and was the wife of mr Bell happy dog, the proprietor of the sugar plantation to which I have previously referred to the sugar plantation we went the same day. The country round about was very beautiful, a level basin of verdure surrounded by sloping hillsides. The sugar-cane, of which there was about one hundred acres in various stages of cultivation, looked thrifty. A considerable tract of land, however, which seemed to have been formerly tilled, was now abandoned. The place where they extracted the saccharine matter was under an immense shed of bamboos. Here we saw several clumsy pieces of machinery for breaking the cane, also great kettles for boiling the sugar. But at present nothing was going on. Two or three natives were lounging in one of the kettles, smoking. The other was occupied by three sailors from the Leviathan, playing cards while we were conversing with these worthies a stranger approached he was a sunburnt romantic-looking european dressed in a loose suit of nankeen his fine throat and chest were exposed and he sported a guayaquil hat with a brim like a chinese umbrella this was mr bell he was very civil showed us the grounds and taking us into a sort of arbor to our surprise offered to treat us to some wine people often do the like but mr bell did more he produced the bottle it was spicy sherry and we drunk out of the halves of fresh citron melons delectable goblets the wine was a purchase from the french in tahiti now all this was extremely polite in mr bell still we came to see mrs bell but she proved to be a phantom indeed having left the same morning for papity on a visit to one of the missionaries wives there I went home much chagrined to be frank my curiosity had been wonderfully piqued concerning the lady in the first place she was the most beautiful white woman i ever saw in polynesia but this is saying nothing she had such eyes such moss roses in her cheeks such a divine air in the saddle that to my dying day i shall never forget mrs bell the sugar planter himself was young robust and handsome so merrily may the little bells increase and multiply and make music in the land of aimeo end of chapters 77 and 78 recording by trisha g